Hey, welcome back to Sermon Notes. Michael here. I've got Garland across the table. Good to be with you, Michael. Hey, we're in the book of Ephesians, and if you happen to miss last week's episode of Sermon Notes, if you happen to miss Clark's teaching, I want to encourage you, before you go on, go back and check those out. Um, Since this is a letter, it's going to naturally fit together really well and make a lot more sense when you read it in context. And so, um, Garland, before we get into our passage today, which begins in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, um, just kind of remind us, uh, what's what's the nature of this letter to the Ephesians? What, What is this document that we're studying. Yeah, when when we read the letters, the very first thing we have to always acknowledge is we're reading ancient mail, somebody else's mail. It's like we're hearing one side of a phone conversation and it's an ancient conversation. And so that automatically helps me trigger what am I doing when I read uh, any New Testament letter? There's a situation, there's an audience, there's a sender, there's a receiver, there's an occasion, something's going on. And as we work through this particular letter, what we're going to see is um, this is a little bit of a unique letter of Paul in that most of the time when Paul writes a letter, he will direct it to a particular congregation and by church or church or congregation. By church or congregation, we're usually meaning uh, maybe a few dozen people in a city. This letter is a little bit unique in that it's meant to be circular. And so uh, the cities that were on the western coast of what we now call Turkey, or used to be called Asia Minor, um, those cities Paul has as his primary recipients. We can actually know that from a couple of reasons. The first is go to the end of the letter and you'll notice normally Paul will finish a letter with a bunch of greetings to people that he knows in that church. And he certainly knows people in Ephesus. He spent nearly three years there, but he excludes the greeting in this letter. And uh, most scholars think he's doing that because he intends a wider audience than just the one individual city. And also um, most manuscripts, I I think most of our Bibles will note this for you, but in Ephesians 1.1, to God's holy people in Ephesus, uh, most of our earliest manuscripts actually don't include in Ephesus. It may not be part of Paul's original letter. It's meant to be circulated. And as the baby of the initial recipient was the church in Ephesus as they copied it and stored it in their in their church. Uh, it got that addition to it. And those are the manuscripts that we then follow in translating it as in Ephesus. So it's a little bit unique. Paul is writing to uh, a gathered group of churches in Western Asia Minor. And for those of us that need some point of reference for that, go read Revelation 2 and 3. Um, these are also churches in Western Asia Minor. And if you read them, you'll notice pretty quickly they got some difficulties. One of the big difficulties they have is the this part of the Roman Empire has had to prove their loyalty to Caesar. And here's why. Um, when the famous battle of Actium between Octavius Augustus and Mark Antony and Cleopatra, most of these cities and their armies and monies lined up on the wrong team. They sided with Mark Antony. Ephesus was one of those that sided on the wrong team. When uh, Augustus, Caesar Octavian Augustus won and beat Mark Antony at the battle of Actium in 31 uh, AD, at that moment, they had to, they had a decision to make. Are we going to continue down the path of destruction following Mark Antony, or will we turn and beg for forgiveness? And the way that they would do that is they would then, uh, they would just be profusive in their praise towards Caesar, build temples. They made their city dedicated to Caesar. In fact, there's two, um, they have, we've excavated two temples 
to Caesar himself in Ephesus. So there's the di- there's the Artemis temple. There's a bunch of other temples in Ephesus. And there's two dedicated to the Caesar. And so you can imagine a Christian trying to navigate the waters of these cities with this political climate and these difficulties. Go read Revelation 2 and 3 and you can see it. Um, that's who Paul's writing to. And right. so as I read this letter, um, he gives us the mountain peaks of the gospel and its implications for a wide audience. And it's awesome. Yeah. It is incredible. And so Clark walked us through uh, the first 14 verses last week. And um, in, the, in our book, our Ephesian study guide highlights this as well. Um, it's, it's lyrical. It's a song of praise. It, it speaks about the, every spiritual blessing from God. Um, he, in love, he predestined us for adoption, the gospel of our salvation. Then verse 15 begins, for this reason. And so because of the beauty of the gospel and our salvation, Paul says, I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, your love toward all the saints. I don't cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. So because of all this and because of your faith, because you believe this gospel, now I'm praying for you. And as we get into this passage, the passage you're going to be teaching, there's some grammatical things that we kind of need to be aware of that may not be super obvious in our English translations. Yeah, so uh, as we dive into those, um, and I'll, I'll note that here in just a second, um, just notice another unusual thing about this letter. Normally, Paul, uh, and this was very uh, traditional, we might say this was the convention in the ancient Roman letter writing world. The sender, and he would write his name and then address his recipients and then offer a prayer to the gods. And usually that prayer comes right after the initial kind of greeting. And that's what Paul normally does. Go look at Paul's other letters. I love, I just love Ephesians because Paul, it's almost like, Paul cannot contain himself. He inserts verses three to 14 before he gets to the, the prayer to, to God. And that normally comes right, that would normally come right at verse three. It's like he couldn't contain himself. He throws this lyrical uh, blessing to God for all of his goodness. And then he gets to uh, the traditional uh, prayer to the deity. So in your Bible, if you wouldn't mind the sermon notes listener, and I'm gonna encourage you, uh, if you listen to this normally on a bicycle or on a run or in your car, fantastic. I'm going to ask you, maybe go back and we're going to give some detailed grammatical stuff that might help you as a leader, especially if you're leading this one in a small group or in discipleship. First thing is I'm going to have you do this, uh, draw an arrow from for this reason and just draw an arrow and connect it to all of verses three to 14. So in light of this, Paul says, now here's the flow of thought. And uh, if you could indent some different things on a Word document or on a journal, this would help you see it. Um, and so tab over one, and, and I'm going to try to visually do this. This is not the best you know, medium for this, uh, an, uh, an audio podcast. But if you can imagine uh, visualizing this with me, indent over uh, you know, one tab in the reason. So Paul will give the reason for what's going to be his main verb in a minute. The reason is he's heard of their faith and love. Now, the main independent clause in this passage is in verse 16. He says, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayer. So what is verses 15 to 23? It's Paul responding to the goodness of God in prayer, as you noted. And so that jumps off the page. Now, if you see, uh, so that would be our far left indentation. So all the way hard left on the page is verse 16. So then indent again, verse 17, this becomes the content of the prayer. What is Paul's prayer? So yes, Paul is praying, but what is he praying? Notice he prays that, and he, there, here comes his language again, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious father, here's the content, may give. So draw an arrow in your Bible from may give to that. That initiates a content clause, and here we have it, that he may give you 
the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that, notice our grammar, what's the content of the prayer? Ultimately, it's so that you may know him better. The, the actual Greek whiz is uh, in the knowledge of him. And we're going to spend a lot of time on Sunday talking about why us knowing him becomes so important. Uh, now, tab over again. So now we're two tabs in on verse 18. I'm, I'm referring to this, at least in my outline, as uh, the basis. I'm calling this the basis. The basis is their hearts have been enlightened. We're going to come back and talk about the grammar of that in just a moment. Because your hearts have been enlightened... Then he's going to give three purpose statements, okay? You see it translated in the NIV as in order that, okay, in order that. So we've got the main independent clause, I never stop praying. What's the content? That he may give you this. What's the basis? Because your, the eyes of your heart have been enlightened. Then three purpose statements underneath uh, this content that you may know him. Here's three reasons. In order that, we might call these implications. In order that you may know the hope to which he's called you that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance and his people, that you may know the incomparably great power for us who believe. That's the purpose. He wants you, his, his audience, imagine yourself in ancient Asia Minor. He wants his audience to know this. Now, here's what's striking to me in this. Paul is in prison writing this letter, probably from Rome. Um, he's been through a lot. I mean, he's been through an awful lot. The Ephesian church has been through a lot. Go read Acts 19. And yet, you know what he doesn't pray? Hey, God, you're great and all, 3 to 14, bless me. Why don't we get these chains off? I need some more food. Can I get my buddies around here to, to, to get me out of this jail? No, no, no. He doesn't even pray for the Ephesians that their circumstances would go better. That these, He says, I pray that you would know something. And that gives us insight into prayer. And I'm going to call our attention to this on Sunday morning. I think for so many of us, the the gaze of our prayer, the eyes of our prayers, so often are so small. I'm not saying that God doesn't care about all of our small things in life. I'm not saying we should not bring them to him like a loving father. But notice, Paul seems impervious to circumstance, above circumstances of even jail. Why? Because I think he knows how to pray. He prays this. Yeah. And this kind of prayer enables him to have this kind of courage, even in the midst of staring down. He's got Caesar right down the road. They can come and kill him at any moment. He knows it. And he goes, you know what? I don't pray for my chains to be released. I pray that you would know what I know. And look at the, look at the content of the knowledge. Man, look at all that. And so to the extent that a Christian seeks, like sinks into and marinates in and soaks in the goodness and the wonder of God's blessing in the gospel, as Paul articulates it here, I think Paul would say, you'll have strength, right. you'll have courage. To the extent that you don't, you'll be timid and fearful and scared. And we're going we're gonna to draw some of that out on Sunday morning. But I have been challenged as I've been working on this for the last few weeks. How do I pray? Yeah. Do I pray like this or do I get... Do I get hung up on a lot of just, are my eyes down when I pray? And right. maybe beginning my prayer with this and then going, okay, in light of that, Lord, I got some chains that I've got to deal with here, but first help me remember. So it's been a really good challenge, even for me personally, working on this of how do I pray? Yeah, man, that's so good. Garland's such a good insight. And to think about the fact that Paul's praying this prayer expectantly. He's not, these aren't empty words. Mm-hmm. He he is asking God to give these things 
to the believers at these churches in the region around Ephesus. And uh, that was one of the things, uh, I have a Thursday morning Bible study we talked about in our Bible study is what if we prayed these things for people in our sphere of influence, people Mm -hmm. in our community group, our family, our Mm -hmm. kids, our spouse, expectantly. Mm -hmm. Our other churches in Fayetteville. Yeah, Yeah. that they actually would know God better and they would have a closer walk with him. And yeah, it's a really, really powerful passage to your point. And as you're saying, it's Paul saying, it's actually, this prayer is actually the source of our power to live mm-hmm. out the life we're being mm-hmm. called to. Yeah. Um, verse 20 and following. So if you're going to indent one more time in your outline, everything that follows in verse 20 is going to be, we might call support material or evidence for what kind of power are we talking about? In the original language, it actually begins, the NIV obscures this a bit by going the mighty strength he exerted. It actually begins with a relative pronoun, which was exerted in da, 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 da. So everything that follows is coming off of a relative pronoun. And so it's all we might say evidence for the kind of power that's in us. So 20 all the way to 23. Um, Now notice John Stott, the uh, British scholar and commentator points out, and we we won't have time to hit this on Sunday. The hope of our, the hope of his calling that fixes our past. He's called us. He, he chose you and I go back to verse one, uh, three to 14, right? Uh, Chapter one, three to 14. That's our past. Our future, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his people. And third, in our present, the incomparably great power for us who believe. Stott teases that out a little bit. Yeah. Now notice, he spends so much more word count on the power, the present thing. And to me, that's instructive for the Ephesian church and for us. When I ask people, how do you feel? Give me emotion words about our culture, our city, where things are at. A lot of the emotion words I get are negative words, words centered on fear, and worry, doubt, yeah, anxiety, right, anger, um, frustration. We're losing everything. Everything's going falling apart, and it sometimes it's helpful for me to be reminded. Paul sits in ancient Rome, right? <laughs> I mean, the greed and the uh, the injustice of he, what he sees around him, the politic, the politics aligned against the things of they're not in line with the things of, of Jesus. And in that jail cell, this is his prayer. Right. This is his confidence. This is his, he soaked in it. And so, um, as we go into community groups this week, um, that would I would love for that to be part of our conversation. We're going to talk about this on Sunday morning as well, and I'll hopefully get our, draw our attention um, to some of these things. But in a in a in a culture where a lot of us look at it, and I think the words I hear are fear, anger, frustration, doubt, and confusion. What would it look like for us to? I think Paul would go, no, 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 no. power, courage, confidence. And the thing we're going to draw out on Sunday is notice the source, the Trinitarian source in verse 17, just like in three to 14, it's loaded with Trinity language that you don't get any cleaner, quicker, and easier to see than this in verse 17. Paul says, I keep asking that. Where does it come from? The God and father of our Lord, our King Jesus, who's he? He's the Messiah. Our Lord Jesus Christ may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation on Sunday. We're going to draw the point that our strength does not come from internal. It doesn't come from us. Right. And that's exactly opposite of our culture. Our culture says you can do it, muster the strength, look inside, learn yourself. And the Bible will say the basically the exact opposite. Or Paul will say it in 2 Corinthians, when I am weak, then you, Jesus, you are strong. And 
I, I would love for us as a community of Jesus followers here in our city to begin to press into that and to have our emotion words be the hope of his calling. You know, what, what if I said, how do you feel? And our answer was, I know him, the hope of his calling, the riches of his glorious inheritance. I know his uncomparably great power. What you got? Bring it on. Right. Um, that that's our power. There's where our power comes from. Um, and so we're going to try to draw some of that out. There's a lot of grammatical features in this um, that we could go into right now. But uh, if we can draw that out on Sunday night, if that can be the where we center our discussion, do we know, not just know about, but know what we have in Jesus? I think that we'd be well served in having that discussion and praying towards that end. I would love mm-hmm. for our community groups, um, as you, we, we challenge you, memorize Ephesians 1. Uh, three to 14, all of it. I'd take some time this week in your group and get in pairs and say, how far we got? Let's keep that in front of our people. Right. Um, if you didn't know that, Clark did that last <laughs> Sunday morning if you weren't there because of Labor Day weekend. Um, and I would love this week, we're going to give a little, what do you call that thing? Is that a, what is that, a screenshot? Yeah, like uh, a little, lock screen. little lock screen. We're going to have one of those that our graphics team has made for your phones. I would love it if we would spend some time as a community group praying these words over each other receiving them, you know, opening our hands to receive and and deepen in our understanding of what we have in Christ. Uh, so leaders out there, community group leaders out there, that's where we're going this week. And uh, man, this is, this is an awesome section of Ephesians. Um, and so it should give us great courage and hope. Yeah, that's great, Garland. I agree with that. And if you happen to be the rare person who is listening to sermon notes, and it's not in community anywhere. You don't have a men's group, a women's group. You're not in a step study. You're not leading um, a cell group. Um, man, call us. Hit our website. Let us know. I would love to help you get in a group. Garland would, Margo, Dave, and we all would love to help you get plugged into community. Community groups are officially starting Sunday. Most groups are already meeting. My group's meeting for the second time tonight. Uh, Overachievers. Yeah, yeah. Well, we wanted to get the whole book of Ephesians in is what yeah, it was. That's it's true, yeah. Um, jumping in in chapter two next week will be okay. Okay, but there's so much um, just blessing in this first chapter to read it and study it. But yeah, our exhortation to you would be continue to study the book of Ephesians, memorize that passage, pray this prayer that Paul's given us as a model prayer, and do all of this in the context of community. And we'll see what the Lord's going to do in and through that. Garland, thanks for your work on this passage yes, and sir. helping us open it up together. And we'll see you next time on Sermon Notes. <laughs>